ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Welcome to the Boiled Down Coffee Club Podcast, the meeting after the meeting, where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live, and there's lots of ways to live sober. This works for us. I'm Don. Hey, Don. Hey, y'all, I'm Sam. Sam, guess what I saw last night? An owl. I was looking for an owl, but no, it wasn't an owl. It was a heavenly body. It was Jupiter. What, Ooh, it, a gaseous giant. It was a, it was a gaseous giant. And I thought of you. But, um, <laughs> what's stupider than Jupiter? Oh no! <laughs> I don't have an answer, but I do. I, I, I just have to say Klingons around Uranus. <laughs> That's not bad. I, your penis. I mean Venus. <laughs> See what happened was I pointed it out to my wife last night, and she doesn't go in for anything from outer space. And Except just, for you. And she, <laughs> and she said, I said, it's Jupiter, and we were talking about later, and she was going, that, that's just stupid. And I said, what's stupider than Jupiter? Well, she's the <laughs> one who said your penis. I mean, Venus. I <laughs> ah! <laughs> love it. That's fabulous. Oh, Lord. Well, I'll tell you one thing. It's beaming pretty brightly right now, and one of the reasons that I know is that uh, – here in Palm Springs, California, where I moved a couple weeks ago. Whoa, you're there. there. I'm there, and there are hardly ever clouds. You can so we, see the sky. Yes, we take the dogs out for a walk every night, and it, it's so cool because it's like the, there, are, there are stars up there. <laughs> you can see them every night. It's yeah. crazy. They're closer. <laughs> Seemingly so, and the moon is amazing. That's good. What about AA meetings? Uh, well, you know, I was doing some of those already when I was still in Greensboro, hitting the um, Zoom meetings for AA in Palm Springs. So I'm um, doing that. I've got a sponsor. Well, I, we, and we talked about that, that I'd already lined up a sponsor. So I'm, I'm talking with him daily and wow. uh, going to his home group meeting on Mondays at noon, which I have already fallen in love with. And if I can, uh, right now it's going to be my home group. It's a Zoom meeting? It is a Zoom meeting. So hopefully I'll be able to maintain a noon meeting as a home group. Uh, I really like the group. Um, and Good. that was cool. So and I've been checking out some other meetings and some CMA meetings, uh, Chris, you know, Country Music Award, I mean, uh, Crystal <laughs> Meth Anonymous meetings uh, as well. Are you withdrawing from country music? <laughs> Experiencing withdrawal? Jitters? Jitters. <laughs> Vibrating. It's the glass that'll ease all my pain. I was drunk the day my mom got out of prison. All <laughs> my rowdy friends have settled down. <laughs> oh, but yes, life is uh, life is coming along well out here. It's definitely taken a while to get settled in, and and it's a little harder to plug into a community with COVID going on. Oh, I, um, I imagine. But you know, yeah, we're, we're doing okay. And uh, I'm glad I'm not doing this alone. Yeah. Well, good. Well, w I'm glad we're not doing this podcast alone. 
Yeah, we've done that. It's a lot more fun when we have someone else with us, though. Introduce yourself, Susan. Hey, everybody. I'm Susan. I'm an alcoholic, and I'm so happy to be here. We're thrilled to have you, Susan. Thank you. So when did you get sober? I got sober the summer of 1997. It was June 21st. Was the, I guess the night before that was my last drink. Was, was that a memorable oh. drunk? Yeah. Well, it wasn't unlike um, a lot of other nights. I poured a big tall glass of vodka and put a little splash of tap water in it, squeezed a lemon. I was with my sister-in-law, Becky. We were just drinking. And I'd probably been drinking earlier that day, but I don't remember the earlier day. I just remember that night and went to bed, woke up the next day pretty hungover. You know, I used to have real bad hangovers and I would just have to sit in the shower, you know, and let the water just run on me before Ooh. I could just do anything. And I had four children, four small kids. They were, I guess, like between four and 12 wow. uh, ages. And, um, and we were doing homeschool. So, you know, I had it. So in the mornings, I would have to kind of rally up, you know, so that shower was was uh, saving grace. But this particular morning, I don't even know if I did that because for some reason I had this hair appointment and I never took care of myself. I've long since let go of, you know, any kind of, you know, uh, get your hair done, <laughs> Yeah, get my hair done exactly or anything like that, you know. But I had this weird hair appointment for some reason. I don't know. I don't know why. And it was in this really strange place. It was like the basement of a nursing home. It's really odd. I, I don't. I still don't really understand it. But I drove, and I know. I mean, I could have gotten pulled over easily. I left the kids home, drove over to this hair appointment, drunk. Really, just still drunk. I mean, I could still smell, you know, myself, just vodka pouring out of my pores. Um, but I got there. And they had like an underground parking lot. I drove down in there to park and I, I just got terrified, dark in there. All of a sudden, I didn't know where I was. And, and in hindsight, I almost feel like that was those gates of hell. You know, like I was at the gates of hell right then. It was like those horsemen, you know, were just like right on top of me. I was paralyzed with fear. The and gates it just of hell closed on you. Yeah, it just came right on me. And somehow I ended up figuring out how to turn around and get out of that parking lot. And I parked, went into the salon and had to sit in that chair and just look at myself in the mirror. And, you know, by this time, my skin was almost like a yellow kind of purpley. I mean, it just, you know, it's just that weird color. My eyes were just like, there was nobody home. They looked really sad. Um, I looked really sad and just, just defeated. I just felt like, oh my gosh, you know, but I had to stare at myself for like that 20 minutes or whatever. And just, you know, the girl cut my hair and um, somehow I got, got through that and got out in the car. And that was like this moment I had where I heard this voice in my head just say, Susan, go to AA. And in that moment, I thought, I can do that. I can go to AA. And um, you know, this is wild because it doesn't sound like that. It was such a memorable. It was just one of. It was one of a, a many drunks. Nights. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah, but it it wasn't some like crazy debaucherous run or anything. It was just a normal drunk. Yeah. But I just had gotten, like they say, sick and tired of being sick and tired in that moment. Yeah. And I was so full of desperation and and really the desire, you know, at that point, just for some kind of relief, you know, I mean, I'd prayed for God to help me, you know, like take this away, help me with this drinking problem. But Oh. You know, I, I just left it at that. And I just thought, you know, it would just disappear, you know, and it never did. And it, all- yeah, we, it takes, God doesn't just pull things mm-hmm. out. It usually takes some effort on our part. Well, what yeah. I'm hearing is that you like reach to that point of desperation without having to go through some crazy madness, uh, you know, drunk escapades, you know, that, that, that perhaps yeah. that prayer to, to help me, with this showed up by making you sick of just what you had. Yeah, I sure hope so. You know, because I, I, I was, I didn't think I was going to live. I didn't think I could continue to live the way I was living. Had you ever been to AA before? Mm-mm. My father was in AA. So uh, that's how you knew about it. I knew about it, but I didn't know anything about it, you know, and I never uh-huh. thought that I would, I need it. I mean, I knew he got sober in AA and I would talk to my dad, you know, I'd call him on those hangover days, you know, and talk to my dad, want to hear my dad's voice. And, you know, he never said a lot about it. He would just say, well, you know, Susan, there's a lot of nice people in AA. You know, he would say things like that. And he sent me that little black book, you know, the, um, the daily reader. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would read that book and I knew it worked for him. And then also my brother had recently started going to AA. And I remember thinking, you know, because we drank so much alike, especially by the end of both of our drinkings. I mean, we'd drink, we'd have the best time. And then by the end of the night, we're sobbing, you know, like, you know, trying to play music. And, you know, we just couldn't even hardly stand up. We were having the best time. It always ended in tears. It did, you know, it always ended in tears. And then like, we'd wake up the next day and like, one morning I had a blood like dripping all over my head, you know, cause I'd fallen on a bottle and just didn't even remember, you know, stuff like that. Or he'd like left the toaster on all night and, you know, it was burned up to a crisp. And so Good that's, time drinking. That, yeah, those were our nights. And, um, and so I thought, gosh, if he can, if he can do it, maybe there's a chance for me. I think I might've gone to an AA meeting years earlier in one of those desperate moments I think I even took like two of my little ones with me, just so desperate one hangover morning, but I didn't really understand anything about it. I don't even think I went back. And so you had some ideas that uh, this drinking was a problem, but you weren't desperate enough to do anything about it. Cause <laughs> well, I mean, what I did was what I did, Susan was try to control it for about two years, yeah. the last two years of my drinking so that I wouldn't be an alcoholic. Yeah, me too. I mean, I started drinking about, you know, I was probably about, I don't know, 13, 14. I loved it. And I mean, I had a good time with it. It gave me that, it was kind of that liquid courage, you know, it was like, it was fun. It gave me the, the life I I always dreamed of, you know, and technicolor. And (laughs) that was just, it was a great time. I drank for a long time. I mean, I came in, I was 35. Instead of my solution, you know, it, it just became, it turned, you know, and, and I think 
it probably turned on me pretty early on, but I didn't really recognize it till way down the road. And, you know, even after I was already like full blown alcoholic and just, you know, couldn't control it at all, you know, I, I, even then didn't realize that for a long time. Don't you think and, the um, longer that you're sober, the earlier you see that your drinking was a problem. When I first yeah. came in, mm -hmm. I had a problem with my alcohol at the very end. It was really a problem. But now I look back on it and I can see where 15 years before, if only I could have admitted defeat, I was starting to screw my life up 15 mm -hmm. years before I quit. Well, I, I th it's in the 12 and 12, which was written, um, what, 10 to 15 years after the big book was written. So that was when they uh, were the 10 to 15 years sober that they say something to the effect of we had to look back over our drinking careers and raise the bottom mm -hmm. so that other people who could scarcely call themselves an alcoholic could relate. That's not verbatim by any stretch, but, mm -hmm. but that's exactly what they experienced. They were able to look back over their lives and realize that their alcoholism was in full gear or at least picking up some steam earlier on. I know mine did because as I've stayed sober, I have been able to look back and it's just like a little, you know, a corroding thread through every part of my life. And even mm -hmm. when the, they were the best of times, that thread is always running through it. It's like a, it's like a raging river almost, you know, I can just see it. And, you know, it just, it stole a lot from me. It became a great destroyer. And I did, I mean, I tried to control it for a long time. I really did. And I finally. Did, did you lose? You didn't lose your children. No, but what happened was I tried to control it. And then I gave up trying to control it. And that helped me get to the bottom. <laughs> you know, I stopped trying to control it. I knew I couldn't. And I remember the moment I knew that I had to drink. And it was late. I mean, it was like only a few years before I finally came in when I really knew I had to drink. Um, and that scared me a lot. But what happened was when I gave up trying to control it and I was just going to drink and not worry about it anymore, I got sick. And I got sicker and sicker, really. And, you know, I hadn't really lost anything physically at that point, but my health really, really deteriorated. That's um, alcohol took your health. Yeah. And I hurt myself really bad when I fell down those steps. And, and did you fall down the steps because of drinking? Yeah. Yeah. And I hadn't really had a lot, you know, but I fell yeah, down. That, yeah, that doesn't, that's what the thing is. Like, <laughs> well, I wasn't drinking that much. I know, it really wasn't. It was a very light night pounded a six pack because I'd gone to this homeschool moms meeting and, you know, I never fit in those meetings. I couldn't understand why like people didn't want to befriend me, you know, but I'd go in my drunk coat, my drunk army green coat with the big pockets, you know, the hell, I don't the know. bottles really like, well <laughs> in yeah. your alcoholic uniform. <laughs> <laughs> and I felt Wait, so I thought that was a trench coat. Yeah, it was. No, it seems to not be a trench coat, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> it was my army drunk coat, you know, for all purposes, because I had that coat for a long time. I still can. I'm just now starting to be able to wear that color again after 23 <laughs> years. <laughs> it was so traumatic. Yeah, I just pounded a six pack, went on to bed, got up in the middle of the night and just 
stepped off this ledge and fell off the stairs and I uh, didn't tell anybody for a really long time because I was afraid that people would think it was because of my drinking and take my kids. That was my whole thought process. Mm-hmm. And um, not even my husband, I was afraid to even tell him. And he was a big drinker too, you know, and we've been together a long time. And But, you know, it already like affected our relationship and I was scared to get sober because I was afraid I wouldn't be able to live with him without drinking too. And, because, and did that happen? Yeah, it did. What happened when you got, so, so you went to an okay, AA meeting? Yeah. So what happened was I went to AA that, that day after the, the haircut, I went home, I called the 800 number and this woman talked to me for the longest time. I told her all my woes, you know, how we do. And she, I said, well, I've got a friend that'll go with me. My friend Mallory, who was my drinking buddy, but she, I knew she'd understand and go with me. And the lady said, well, there's an open meeting. She explained open and closed. There's an open meeting tomorrow and you, you and your friend can go. And I said, no, 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 I've got to go today because I knew if I didn't go today, I'd go to sleep, wake up and think you overreacted. It is not oh, yeah. bad. Wait a minute. We've got to explain what open and closed means. Well, an open meeting is Alcoholics Anonymous meeting that is open to anybody. Uh, whether you feel like you have a drinking problem, whether you just you know want to go to, to hear what's going on, if you're going with a friend, if you just want to learn about the program. A closed meeting is for those of us who want to quit drinking, who have a desire to quit drinking. And it's only and, for those students who are studying alcoholism. They can go to an open meeting. Right. They can't come yeah. to a closed meeting. Yes. And that does come up in meetings, even with like, if somebody has to have a caregiver, you know, that's sometimes mm-hmm. debatable. It's, it's important to people. Some people want to need to protect their anonymity. Mm-hmm. Like well, if privacy and, and their not privacy. anonymity. Yeah. I'm sorry, Sam. You're exactly right. <laughs> They want to protect their privacy because they may be like a doctor or a lawyer and they don't want a potential client or an old client or something like that. They don't want it known that they're an alcoholic. Go ahead. There's Sam. one story that I had, had, had learned of a, um, a closed meeting where a mother brought her young child to the meeting. That child's kindergarten teacher was also in the meeting and was really upset that one of her students was in this closed meeting because it would make it so easy for that information to get out. Mm -hmm. So that's the value of the closed meeting. Yeah. And I felt, I I mean, I didn't mind that, you know, I was kind of glad because I didn't really want anybody to know. know? (laughs) So you went to that meeting. I got you off topic there, but that's okay. I went to that meeting and it was actually a great big meeting. I was living in Kansas city, Missouri, but they split it up and did like a small newcomers meeting. And, and, you know, they of course knew I was new, you know, and, and they went all the way around and each person told like a snippet of their story. And, um, and I wasn't going to say anything the whole time. I'm thinking, I'm not going to say one word, you know, and as soon (laughs) as it got to me, like I just blobbed everything out, you know, and, and I, you know, I just didn't understand anything for the longest time. I just knew that they weren't drinking. And so I started going every day. I would shut school down at noon and I'd go to the noon meeting and um, I didn't even understand about chips. I didn't hear much of anything, you know, but they told me to pray in the morning and pray in the night. 
you know, say thank you in the night and help me in the morning. And I'd read that little black book. I'd sit on the porch. And so, I mean, I knew, I knew I was powerless and I didn't really know how unmanageable my life was, but I knew, I knew things had gone bad. And, um, you didn't want to drink again after that? Was it, uh-uh. was it removed right away? The desire to drink? I believe it was pretty much removed right away. Cause when I look back, you know, you know, cause my husband still drank and we had a ton of booze in the house and I don't remember that being a big problem for me early on. And what happened was I, I almost like to say it was that very first week when I was sitting on that front porch, there'd been maybe three or four days where I had not had to drink, you know, cause the, the bewitching hour would come, you know, and I never <laughs> could like resist it yeah. no matter what I did. But like three or four days had come by and I had not had a drink. And I remember at that moment thinking, you know, there is something helping me do this there. It's not me. You know, did you identify that as God? Yeah. Did you identify that as higher power or God? I mean, well, I just thought of it as God. You didn't have a problem with the word God. No, I knew it was a, it was spiritual long since sort of put God on the sideline. I knew at that point that something else was helping me. I always feel like that was kind of my step two, you know, and then I just kept going to the meetings and I felt like that was sort of my three. Step two came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Yeah, because that truly was some sanity if I was not picking up that drink, you know, I mean, I just, Mm. I couldn't, I couldn't even fathom it. And so I just kept going to the meeting every day. Did you get a sponsor? No, I didn't even understand about sponsors. When did you get a sponsor? Because you can't work the steps without a sponsor. Well, I didn't work the steps. I just sort of stayed right like that. How and long? what happened was I got sicker. Oh. And, um, you know, and I, so I started going to these uh, 10 o'clock meetings. They had a women's meeting there on mm-hmm. Thursdays at 10 o'clock. And a lot of good long, long-term sobriety there. And uh-huh. those women really just like shepherded me in. And they, my first meeting was a 10 o'clock women's meeting. I didn't know it was a women's really? meeting. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't my first meeting. It was like my third meeting. I was at work and I was blowing up. I thought I was going to tear the room apart that I was painting. I was going, what the hell is the matter with me? And I was going, you know, I think I need to go to another one of those AA meetings. And it was like 10 o'clock and I found one 1030 that was like five blocks away from where I was. So I went to it and it was a women's meeting, but it turns out after the fact, but they had three of the women there had seen me pick up the start chip the day before. And they said, Don, come on in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's what we'll do. So did and, you, you know, get a sponsor remember, there? Well, what happened was that I asked, I believe it was Susan H. If she'd be a temporary and do my fourth and fifth. And, um, and she did, she met with me. I think we must have talked about one, two, and three, because I remember her saying that third step prayer, and she said it by memory, you know, like, like we do, like, I mean, I know, I know that now, but then I was like, wow, you know, that, <laughs> that, that she said, I offer myself to thee. It was quite memorable, you know, yeah. her saying that prayer and knowing it by heart, my goodness, you know, I just couldn't get over that. So anyway, I did my fourth and fifth with her. Uh-huh. I think I just did enough to 
you know, keep going. That's kind of been the story. You know, I just did enough. Yeah, but you are such a, uh, you're inside of AA. So when did it turn for you that AA became, this is how I'm going to live my life following these principles? Well, I just never looked back from the beginning. You know what I mean? So it just built gradually. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I just didn't feel like I had much of a choice if I wanted to live. And I had to rebuild everything because I didn't go back to Kansas City. So, you know, my marriage pretty much crumbled. I lost the whole life there. Our whole family changed. So I always felt like it sort of stole my family, stole my husband. You know, he was in and out of the program. And and then he came down here and we thought we'd try it again. You know, how it would be if we were both sober. And, you know, we just couldn't put it back together. And I, and I, Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes the it relationships doesn't, you know, don't and work. I, I couldn't do Al-Anon at the same time. I mean, I, I like Al-Anon, and I do Al-Anon now, and it's helped me a ton. But I always think, gosh, if could have worked Al-Anon then, maybe it would have helped me stay with him. But I was too sick. You know, I just I had to do AA and just kind of save my life. And Susan, what was something that happened to you? when you started working the steps after that point, when you started working the steps where you got a a real realization that this thing that they're talking about doing in AA is really working. It's more recent. Recent's good. (laughs) What comes to me now, it's the most beautiful thing. My last sponsor, my current sponsor, working with her has given me that, what you're asking. You know, it's like, I know that this is my genuine life, and I am so forever grateful. I found the buried treasure working with her, and she has taught me so much about the steps, the principles, living it out in my life. Can you give a specific example of one time where it's like, if I do this, it's going to work better? Well, I was in a situation that I never thought I could get out of. Kind of like the drink situation. Only this was 20 years sober and did not see a way out. Hit a huge emotional bottom. I was in a very, very dark place. And through the four step, through many four steps. Which is an inventory, looking to see what your part is in a situation. Digging and digging and digging for my part because I couldn't see it. You know, I've been, I've, I've deceived myself so much in life, just denial, just living in a fantasy land, not really facing realities. I never wanted to face a reality. Even 20 years sober, I can still go back to that life. And so just the process that she taught me, it almost equipped me to say, now, Susan, this you carry for the rest of your life. It took several years. It took several years for me to come to the other side of that, to start having any kind of healing and really seeing myself more clearly than I've ever seen myself before and not having to run away, not having to hide, not having to drink over it. You know, it's like, I'm okay. You know, it's like I I started to love myself. Been in the last years that I've really started to grow more in self-forgiveness You know, those were, I mean, I really don't even know if I had an idea of what that was until really in in recent years. 
And it's also, it's not just been because of my sponsor. It's also been the relationship with, with my higher power, with God. I was able to open up enough, I think, to really let God's love in. And when that happened, it really enabled me to see myself as a beautiful, beloved child of God, you know? Yeah. But we had a meeting a couple of weeks ago on feeling like a piece of shit. <laughs> that was the yeah. topic. It's just exactly what you're talking about, how that has changed to where I can love myself. I can feel a connection to something. And, I'm, and also, I can change my behavior. I don't have to be the person I was. I can live differently. I'm not stuck in that position. I mean, that's the beauty of making the amends and going through all that process. Is I, it gives me freedom from the past. I don't ever change the past, but I can change my relationship to it. And one of the biggest things I think, too, that I've learned, and this is so recent, is that, you know, I'm simply a human being and I can just be human. I always thought I had to sort of be superhuman, mm. you know, and alcohol helped me do that. And even if I didn't have alcohol, I could find other ways to try to be superhuman, you know, and just kind of be that human doing, you know, yeah. and, and try to get it all that way. And, you know, my sponsor always says that line in the book that says, you know, uh, God remove my fear and, and direct my attention to who you would have me be. You know, and I don't have to be perfect today. You know, I just have to be human. And that has given me such a freedom. And, you know, I didn't even know that I didn't have that freedom, you know, but, but just free to make mistakes, free to be just a regular human being, you know, and that frees me up to let other people be human. Which know, means that to let other people screw up. Yeah. Other people, other people can screw up. They can. No, they're not allowed to. They're not no. allowed to. No, 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 no. Yeah. Especially if it affects me and inconveniences me in any way. <laughs> yeah. That's a, it's I, I a still have work to do there, Susan. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, and it, it does come and go, of course, but, you know, I've had a taste of it. Mm. I've had a taste of it and I, and I like it. <laughs> Well, I don't know. During the quarantines that we've been through, it's been a great opportunity to practice letting go of things I can't change. Oh, my goodness. Bring my focus to the present. It's so much of a practice to do that because every day at some point during the day, usually just after I look at the news, I fall into a spiraling pit of despair. <laughs> and <laughs> that sounds like the Sarlacc pit. Yeah. <laughs> and I had, I was, no, I have a choice in what rules my mind. And that doesn't have to be on the top of my mind. I mean, I need to know what's going on in the world, but I don't need to rage against it because I can't do anything about it. But what can I do and put my attention there? You know, it makes it possible. To, yeah, I agree. It makes it easier to live. I did the same thing. I had this one experience right in the beginning of the quarantine. Cause you know, it's like everything ended so abruptly, mm -hmm. you know, it's like my job was done. The meetings were done. The meeting with people was done. It was like, you know, I was here at home with my mom 
and we weren't going anywhere, you know, cause she's elderly and whatnot. No and going anywhere, <laughs> not going anywhere. And like all my roles, you know, all the roles that I had, you know, that I thought that's who I am, you know, all my prestige or whatever, you know, they all just fell away. And so I went through kind of a, like a topsy turvy time, you know, and I was all out of sorts and it was suggested that like, I write a letter to God. So I wrote a letter to God and you know, what, what happened for me was that it was like I had, I had God in this box and I didn't even know it. So I really had to let God come out of this box because I needed, it's almost like I needed a bigger God in a way. It's like my little God. I was just like, I had it all figured out, you know, and oh, I, yeah. I knew how to, I knew what God, you know, it's so like, I don't know. It was like my control again. And somebody in the meeting one day said something about, you know, look up at the blue sky and that's, that's, the bigness of God, like it's, it's never ending. Right. And, and so I had this moment out in the yard after I'd written my letter and everything. And, um, and, and it kind of, and, and then somebody had said that in the meeting, you know, and, and the, the sky has been so beautiful this summer and it was like this bright blue and the clouds. And I thought, wow, you know, and it just like my heart, it just like exploded. And I knew, you know, that I had had God, I had had God in this box, you know, and it's like, you got to let God out of the boxes. And, you know, because <laughs> this is, God's got a lot here and I'm just trying to like hold it all in. So that helped me a lot. And that was like a turning point for me in this quarantine, you know, because it just, it was like, okay, just let go and let God, you know, and be okay with whatever comes one day at a time and trust that, you know, all is well all is well. And, yeah. um, and that even surprised me about myself. Cause I, you know, I saw myself having this great connection with God and, you know, we're praying on a daily and, you know, we're real close and here I had him all like tied up. So I had to, I had to cut the strings. And, uh, <laughs> it's been a lot easier since then. So it's that surrender. It yeah. was another, it was another surrender. Yeah. Another surrender. Well, that's beautiful. Susan, don't go anywhere. Matter of fact, you might want to duck. There's something about to swoop. That, that bird sounds a little sick. Uh-uh. <laughs> it's time for our old timers question. Who you calling an old timer? You, that's what happens if you don't drink and you don't die. Well, no matter how long you've been sober, it's still one day at a time. Shammy. <laughs> you can post a question at boiledowlaa.org. We have a question from Nicole in Vermont. Are there any rules in AA? Are there any rules in AA? Mm, this it sounds like dangerous waters <laughs> <laughs> to tread into. Oh, hell yeah. Don't drink. That's really the one rule. Don't drink. Well, how am I going to do that? This is what the co real question is. Then we have numerous suggestions that we apply to the question of how am I not going to drink one day at a time? And one of them is 
turning back to one day at a time, turning my attention to one day at a time. One, I can, can I stay sober until 6 PM tonight? And then at 6 PM, can I stay sober until I go to bed? If, and if I do, then I say, thank you to my higher power, whatever that is. That's a place where there's not a rule in defining a higher power. Higher power is the, the, the rule is that it can't be me, but it can be anything else. It's got to be something outside of myself because my life has, has been lived with me trying to run the world. That, that's really what the problem is. And I've got to quit that. The way that I do that is by going to meetings and all the rules and everything that are there, the steps, these are the, the, the things that we do to, to keep us sober. It's the things that keep my mind uh, under control. Uh, and it's all about, I mean, their suggestions. The joke is their suggestions like when you jump out of an airplane, it's suggested that you wear a parachute. And so when you quit drinking, it's suggested when, because alcohol was the one thing that was holding me together. I didn't realize that it was the one thing that was killing me. It felt like it was the one thing that was holding me together. It created all this pain and all this turmoil. My life was a complete wreck. I've got to replace that solution, which was alcohol. I've got to replace that solution with something because my life is a wreck. And that's what the steps are. So the rule of the steps there's suggestions and they're a way to stay sober. So I don't think of them as rules. The, I think the one real rule is if, you're, if your ass falls off, pick it up, put it in a wheelbarrow and take it to a meeting. Because, <laughs> ah, there's a crusty old timer saying for you. Because <laughs> you got to get to a meeting because that's where I get pointed in the right direction. What about you, Susan? What do you think about rules in AA? Well, I heard one time that there are a, a certain a big number of musts in the big book. We must do many, many things. There's a lot of the words must, M-U-S-T. Is that why it's a musty old big book? Yeah, it's a musty <laughs> old program. That was like and, an old-timer. You know, so, That's an old-timer joke. <laughs> So, yeah, I think that it's a guideline for living. If I want to think of them as rules for myself, you know, then that's okay uh, because they help me live a happy, joyous, and free life. But I don't I'm, think the questionnaire was coming at it from liking rules. Do you? What do you mean? I don't think the person asking the question was like going, oh, good, there's rules. <laughs> I think they're saying, are there rules like, I don't want to follow it. That's the sense I got. I don't know. I may huh. be off target. Oh, like you don't want to break any rules? I don't want NIA? any rules. I don't want any rules. No, we never want any rules. As a proper alcoholic, you're damn right we never want any rules. Rules are meant to be broken. <laughs> that's why we call them suggestions. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. No matter what you call them, if it's a must, it's a rule, it's a suggestion. Um, you can call it whatever you want to. And I think that's part of our defiance coming in, you know, Absolutely. don't tell me what to do. If it's a rule, I'm out of here. 
you know? <laughs> so that's why we say suggestions, but there are, I mean, if, if I don't do these things, I won't get the result. And there are rules like, like the open and close thing, you know, just that kind of rule. What's our, that? Our, like the open meeting and the closed meeting, like, like we talked about earlier in our traditions, you know, there's certain ways that we do things in AA and they're very, very vital to our program. You know, if we don't follow the traditions, it's going downhill. So whether you want to call it a tradition or whatever, you know, it's, we stick to it pretty staunchly. I mean, I know in Al-Anon, they say there, there are no shoulds. And I always like that. But in AA, it's a little different, I think. And I, that's helped me. It's helped me to ha- kind of have that, that structure with it. Because if I don't do yeah. it, then I'm not going to keep growing. And I might go back and pick up a drink. I don't know. Maybe I'm being too strict. you know are there any rules in aa no aa does not have any rules do i have rules yeah i I have things that i hold myself to but you know i mean for aa to have rules would mean that there are people in aa there are mechanisms in aa for discipline that there's punishment available for breaking a rule. And there isn't. No one in AA has any power over anyone else in AA unless you give it to them. So if I give you, Don, power over me, I, you tell me to do something and I do it, then yeah, there, you can give me a rule. But AA doesn't do that. That's me letting you do that. Um, Because yes, there are definitely people out there on power trips who are in these rooms. But insofar as Alcoholics Anonymous having rules, nope, not a single one. Now, laws that, that AA, laws of the land that AA has to adhere to, public safety laws and all that kind of stuff, but those aren't AAs, that's just AA being a good corporate citizen because AA is a corporate citizen. It is that thing of the suggestion of wearing a parachute if you're going to jump out of a plane. Because the disciplinarian that we're dealing with here, the one who will come back and smack you around is, as it's so eloquently called in in the big book, John Barleycorn. If I choose not to follow the suggestions, the guidelines, and, and that would be choose not to follow them in enough frequency or broadness of them, then I'm probably going to get drunk. Alcohol is the disciplinarian in here. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, no one is going to discipline me. No one's going to take a belt to my backside. No one is going to lock me up. No one's going to, to, well, I might get shunned. Uh, Um, no one has that power to do that to me, but alcohol will kick my ass if I stray too far from what has been shown. And one more thing that I, I really like is that if you present a question to the service desks at the general service office in New York about something that like you're looking for a rule, you're looking for a ruling on how to treat a member in your home group or whatever, they will never tell you what to do. 
they will say experience has shown. Right. <laughs> yeah. So no yeah. rules. No rules. No rules. Can I tell you one little short story? Yeah, absolutely. Sam said something about we make rules for, for ourselves. And then one time I lived up in Floyd, Virginia, and Chateau Morset always had these uh, wine festivals, you know, and they were all fancy. They had a jazz band. It was really, really nice. There were actually two debacles, but I'm just going to share one. The one time I went and there was this jazz band and they were playing this real pretty music and I'd had a ton of wine, you know how you do. And um, then I'd had a ton more wine. I was with my best friend from childhood, Mariana, and we were just having the time of our life, you know, and um, I had on this pink and white striped dress and it was a wide print. It was almost like a candy striper dress, sort of, you know, but it was real cute. It had a fitted top and then it kind of poofed out, you know, it was a real big skirt and, um, and real good for swirling and twirling. And so, of course, I was swirling and twirling up there at the band, you know, and there's a lot of fancy people there, you know, they all have their little picnics and, you know, they're tasting wine like that. So anyway, they play this song called The Honeysuckle Rose. And I don't know, I got going on that song and I started doing cartwheels, <laughs> started doing cartwheels in my dress. And uh, in my mind, it was just this beautiful fan, you know, like the dress just doing this beautiful fan as I, as I cartwheeled it over time and time again. <laughs> and uh, we were asked to leave, you know, and we tried to buy wine to go and they wouldn't sell us any. <laughs> and, you know, instead of me thinking, you know, maybe I drank too much, I made a rule for life. And it was do not ever, Susan, do a cartwheel and a dress again, ever. And I have stuck to that rule for life. And I've, I've not had another <laughs> cartwheel attack and a dress. Experience well, has shown. Uh-huh. <laughs> but now you're free to do a cartwheel. I could, but I don't know. It's a pretty, it's a pretty staunch rule in my life. <laughs> that rule still exists. <laughs> it's going to stick. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm never going to do a cartwheel in a dress or a skirt yeah. either. <laughs> yeah, same for <laughs> Maybe me. Maybe in a kilt. <laughs> <laughs> Are you really going to do a cartwheel? Now you do. You have. I've seen you standing on your head, Sam. Well, that's just you know in rage or something. I mean, <laughs> standing on your head. Standing rage. on my head. I've seen a picture of you on your head up against a wall. Oh. standing on your head doing some exercise or something uh, yeah I, that sounds like something i might do I'm a, I'm a little nuts like that in your kilt not in a kilt not in a kilt <laughs> not for the exercise <laughs> no but you tend to so sam you tend to stand on your head when you're enraged <laughs> <laughs> maybe even bounce around on it <laughs> Hey, I have a little factoid I wanted to share with y'all that I, uh, it came to mind, Susan, when you were talking early on about how your hangovers were so bad and I related instantly. Mine were so bad too. I recently read something, have not vetted it at all, but that the term hangover came from a place where people way back when in England could crash overnight when they were sloppy drunk and it was a rope that they would drape them across. And that's how they slept for the night. 
and they would find themselves hungover. (laughs) It sure feels like that. It does. (laughs) Hang me upside down. I don't care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it it does sound practical. It keeps the puke off your shoes if you. There you go. You're probably <laughs> on the person next to you, but or, or in front of you. But hey, anyway, I thought it was cute, and there was a fantastic little illustration of it. Yeah. So you know, and since there was an illustration, you know it's true. Yes. Susan, thanks for being here today. Absolutely. Thank you, Thank for you so much. Inviting me. Watch out! Here comes that pesky owl. I think that owl's been sipping something. (laughs) Thanks for joining us. The Boiled Owl podcast is posted on the 1st and 15th of every month. Visit us at boiledowlaa.org or email giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous in your city or visit aa.org. Please note, Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of Alcoholics Anonymous and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services. John Barleycorn. John Barleycorn. John Barleycorn. John Barleycorn.